Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January, 20, January 14, 2015. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 3, and we are at page 37, Paragraph 3. Today's readers are Michelle H., Penny C., Larry K., and Deb W., the reference number for yesterday, January 13, 2015, is 7182. That's 7182. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. On a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Cindy S. to read the 12 steps. Cindy, please press star one to unmute. Sorry. Sorry, this is Cindy S. calling from Florida this morning. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. 
I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 Traditions. Thank you, Cindy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Anita L. from Philadelphia, recovered for today. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public Relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all those traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 37, paragraph 3. I will ask Michelle H. to begin reading. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, 
anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. And so here's another example. Uh, here's, you know, they're saying here's, some, here's another circumstance. Um, and they use the word gone out to drink deliberately twice in this paragraph. And they're saying this is happening instead of casually. So I'm fueled now by some emotion that I'm justifying. Um, you know, when I'm angry, um, you know, <clears throat> by George, you know, I'm going to go after this food with a little bit more gusto than casually, or at least that's been my experience. And so even though that's this kind of a beginning when it's fueled by this self-justification of, well, this is how I'm feeling, so I'm, you know, I'm going to go after that food, and um, it's, it's more deliberate in my mind than casually, like Jim's story. And, and they're saying even then, um, you know, even in this circumstance, you know, my thinking is not, I'm not able to think straight. When I think there's the thought of the consequences of what's going to happen to me, is just not there. My thinking is not effective um, during this time of premeditation. They're calling it when I'm, you know, I'm planning to go out and eat deliberately because I deserve it. I'm, I'm justifying it. Now I may not always be seeing it. You know, I'm looking back now and I'm seeing that I justified it, but at the time I'm not realized that I'm justifying it because really the only reason I do pick up is for the effect. I want what I want when I want it, and I'm going after the effect, and so I'm going to rationalize. And for me, the last time, you know, before I picked up that first bite again, or that they're talking about this first drink, that there's this period of abstinence, and I had that. And for me, it was a feeling, I thought it was grief. I thought it was being, you know, despondent over the death of my father. But, you know, actually there was pride and arrogance, thinking, look how good I did, um, you know, the I, look how good I did, you know, staying abstinent during this period of turmoil and, and trouble that I went through. So there was pride, there was grief, um, there was that, that feeling um, of restlessness and irritability that was going on, but I rationalized it with, you know, um, I'm grieving over the loss of my father. And But, you know, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how I'm justifying, my thinking, you know, I just have no mental defense against this disease. My thinking is not going to be straight. I'm not going to remember the times that, you know, I, how many times did I binge on the food that I'm going to pick up and how many times were the results the same, which when I got into remorse and I was more despondent and was feeling like how did I get here again just back into the spree and back into my disease after a period of abstinence. Even though those periods of abstinence were getting shorter and shorter, I was abstinent, and it was the thought, the thinking that was not straight, that was not proportionate. I wasn't able to think straight. And so... Yes, no matter what the circumstance, whether it's casual, whether it's deliberate, I have no mental defense against this disease. And it is through going through the process of the steps that I am restored to sanity. I'm restored to straight thinking. I can remember the consequences one day at a time as long as I'm practicing these steps. And, you know, my higher power showed me that a year later when my mother died and I was recovered after going through the process of these steps, a little bit of fear cropped up, and when I, you know, paused and prayed, you know, the thought that came to me was, Michelle, you're recovered today. You're relying not on yourself, not on your own thinking. You're relying 
by the grace of God, on a power greater than yourself, and that's what restores me to sanity. But um, with this disease, you know, it's impressive, and the thought will never be effective on my own. Thank you. Thank you. Who else would like Lauren Yes. Okay, who else would like... It's Lawrence. Okay, I have uh, Charles H, Lauren S, Renata, and Florence. Okay, go ahead, Charles. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Charles H. I'm a recovered visionary just for today. And, uh, you know, thank you for your service, and thank you all the visionaries. Um, yeah, I, I, del- I deliberately went out to, to, to binge every single day, and I ain't even trying to justify it. I, I really did not try to justify it. I just, you know what, I just wanted it. And, you know, I'm talking with a coworker right now, and, I, you know, we was talking about it. He said, oh, I never heard of OA. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, I'm ho- I'm hooking him up with a vision for you. And and, and this, is, this is how we do, like, you know, a lot of people are never going to hear about Overeaters Anonymous. It's such an awesome program. We were talking about stuff like purpose and things like that. And I was and I was telling him, you know, he was telling me that he has an anger, you know, anger. And I, and, and I identified him with having anger uh, issues. Now, how come I hear somebody really loud? It's, it's like, is this like an obsession with me when I get on? But anyway... Anyway, so we were talking about anger and worry and depression and jealousy. I was like, I identify in with all that stuff, just like it says in this in this paragraph here. Well, I told him that, you know, prior to me enlarging my spiritual life, these things affected me. But when I, when I, the, the moment I made up my mind to stop justifying all these frees, and and wanting change in my life. Anger, worry, and depression and all that stuff left me. My daughter and my my wife deliberately asked me, hey, 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 Charles, the stuff I used to, I used to try to, like they try to press my buttons on purpose and it just don't bother me no more. It's not about the food. It's about everything else. And um, my sponsee the other day made up a resentment it's beautiful. You know, oh, by the way, suggestion. When you're doing four steps of resentments, don't leave it around, especially if you live with the people you're doing resentments with. Anyway, so I have a, a, a resentment form, the seven column on Microsoft Excel, and I gave it out to, like, I asked my sponsor to do it because he's good like that. And it's just great. Every time a, a resentment pop up, boom, I put it through the steps, four through nine. Every single day, I get rid of them resentments every day. Ten, eleven, and twelve, and one. I'm powerless over my 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 thoughts. I'm powerless over fear. You know, I take that third step every day. I turn it over to my God. I turn over my fears, my worries, my depression, my jealous feelings. I turn it all over to God, and I I, I turn over my food as well. Everything I turn over, and I'm just so grateful to have that vision today, that resentment is a luxury that I cannot afford, you know. And, and you know, when, when, when uh, I just turn up the, 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 the rent in my head and kick them out, 
I kick them out by putting them through the seven columns in my resentment prayers and my resentment, uh, you know, inventory every day, and I email them to my time. With that, I'm about to I'm about to close. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, um, thank you, Charles and Lauren S. You're up. Okay. Um, hi, Lauren S. As in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania. Whatever the precise definition, we call it insanity. How can such a lack of proportion to think straight be called anything else? So, insanity. Oh gosh. Today, I have sanity around food, and the obsession is not there. Okay, before Lauren version one, though, you know, had this abusive partner beaten down on my head every day, every moment of every day. I was obsessed with food, obsessed with weight, obsessed with, um, you know, even like they call it food porn. Like when I was dieting, I would be obsessed with getting my fix from like looking at, looking at food. So what I needed what I truly needed was to be restored to sanity. And as I've, I was taught, I can't do that because my thinking is distorted and, you know, chemically I'm, I'm sensitive to foods, but also I think chemically I react differently to emotion and judgment and, and things like gossip too. It's fatal for someone like me. So I couldn't do this myself and I couldn't get help from people in the rooms who are just as powerless as me. So I needed a higher power that wasn't um, that wasn't a food addict or a group of food addicts for me. I needed I needed something bigger than myself, something like the spirit of the universe. And I like well, what spoke to me was was um, I've learned three different definitions of insanity. One is, you know, doing the same thing over and expecting different results. And I've, I've heard that attributed to a certain scientist, but I'm, they, I'm not really clear who actually said that. And then the second one was in the text, insanity is having a lack of proportion. What's it say here? Insanely insufficient to what might have happened. Yeah, so it's just... It's like that that parallel thinking, that angel and the devil. And the devil for me always went out and was insane compared to what always ended up happening physically. You know, I pick up one bite of brownie and next thing you know, I gain 20 pounds in a week and I'm not going to class. Like, that does not match up. You should take a bite of brownie and feel a little pleasure. You should not be agoraphobic and gain 20 pounds in a week. That is crazy. So, oh. Okay, I'm almost done. Now, the third definition is what I also, what came to me in the past year is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting the same results. And this program taught me to be open, cast away prejudice, to have a new experience. And that has restored my same thinking. Thank you, guys. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Lauren S. And Renata, it's your turn. 
Hi, thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Radio in New York. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. And I can increase that list, you know, or for me, happiness, anxiety, inadequacy, insecurity, fear. And, um, you know, this paragraph in the book, it really reminds me of a situation a couple of years ago when I went back to Brazil. You know, I went back to Brazil. I was abstinent. I wasn't recovered, but I was abstinent. And I was thin. You know, everything was perfect. I was so happy. And, uh, you know, uh, I really thought that it was all about me. You know, look at me. I lost the weight. I did it. I finally did it. And uh, I remember being in my dad's house. And uh, we had lunch, and they brought out about three or four desserts. And I looked at the desserts, and I thought, you know what? I'm so happy today. Everything's so perfect. I'm going to have a little bit of dessert. And I really, you know, my intention was to really have one slice of one of them. And I did it. I didn't think twice about it. I really thought I could have it. And... uh after all, I was absent for a while, and I finally did it, right? And I had a little piece of dessert, and it was like heroin. I was off to the races, and then I kept having seconds and thirds of all of the dessert. And uh, I didn't care that people were watching me eat like an animal. I, you know, after I, I was done with my spree, after I couldn't eat anymore, you know, I I felt sick. I was in physical pain because I had I had eaten so much. Uh, I had I had to unbutton my pants because I couldn't fit in my clothes. I I had to go home and go to sleep because you know I was numb and drunk. I I could not even be around people anymore. And that's what this disease does to me. When I trigger that allergy, I can't stop. But until I was recovered, until I walked this 12 steps, I did not have a mental defense against that first bite, against the thought that tells me to eat, it's okay. You know, um, today, by the grace of God, after walking the steps, you know, it doesn't matter how I feel, happy or sad or grumpy or whatever. You know, I know food is not the answer. Today I have a relationship with a higher power that I go to for everything. Food is not my God anymore. But I had to really, you know, get honest in the program, work the steps, have a psychic change. And today, you know, it doesn't matter what goes on. My food plan is the same every day and uh, I have sanity. I have sanity around food. Thank God. Uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. Florence, it's your turn. Hi, um, this is Florence. I haven't been on the call for a little while. I, I had I, it's such a blessing to hear people talk and to be a part of this. Um, I'm in a, uh, a group now where we're working the the steps, and I'm I'm looking forward to a, a fuller recovery. I've had the physical recovery of 
uh, in 2013 and have been in the rooms um, working the program as I as I can. But I just want to say this is just a, a godsend to read this uh, paragraph, a uh, real blessing, because uh, I recently went through some surgery, and uh, today I have a follow-up appointment, and I'm nervous. And, of course, all through this, you know, there is this feeling like uh, – I I I deserve to be taken care of, and the real way to take care of yourself is is through the 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 ordered steps of the program, and through you know it, it's not going to it's not going to solve your problem to to eat over uh, these things, and um it, you know there's just a myriad of excuses you can give yourself uh, about uh, you know my sister said you know don't don't limit yourself now and da da da, but it's by limiting myself or by by making these these good decisions uh, with the help of my higher power that, I, that I'm as healthy as I am through this process. And I just want to uh, give a shout out to God, of course, um, the gentle presence that's always there for all of us and um, how he is nothing but good for us and, and that that his leadings are what I follow. And I'm so thrilled to be part of this meeting this morning. I just thought I'd put it on and kind of kind of uh, get some encouragement today, and I certainly have. So thank you. Uh, grateful to all the organizers and for everybody on the line. Thank you so much. I'll pass. Thank you, Florence. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Um, Judith R. Okay, I heard Larry. Okay. And then there's some, someone I Matt. couldn't hear your name. Matt. Um, and Debbie K. Matt M. Okay. And I'm sorry, and I'm just not understanding your name. Matt. Oh, Matt. I'm sorry. God. Okay. Okay, so we have Larry, and Matt, K. Judith. Okay, if I could speak, please. Larry K., Matt, Judith, Debbie K., and Vasa. We'll go with those, and then we'll move on. Thank you. Katie, you're doing a great job. Thanks for your service. Um, Larry Kay uh, from Chicago, Recovered Compulsible Reader. Um, you know, this paragraph, it, it just brings me back. I mean, step two, you know, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So this indicates that that I'm insane. <laughs> this whole chapter illustrates for me the connection between taking that first bite, that first drink, and insanity. And, and this notion of insanity can be highly offensive. <laughs> it was offensive to me when I first came into program. You know, what do you, what do you mean I'm insane? You know, when I heard that, I didn't want to believe that I was insane. You know, I had a certain uh, uh, feeling about what insanity meant. But um, I, I mean, certainly I did some incredibly crazy, crazy things when eating. But insane, you know, um, yet. What we learn uh, with all these stories, deliberately or otherwise, you know, when I'm sober, I'm much like other, you know, normal people, but I need to get crystal clear on this um, concept and how it applied to me. I need to, I really need to understand how insanity applies to me. Sanity simply means wholeness of mind or, you know, completeness of mind. So when when I'm insane, uh, you know, I normally... I'm going to make decisions uh, based on a lie rather than the truth. You know, an insane mind makes decisions on this lie, and we have the inability at times to separate the true from the false. And that's true. So sure, yeah, deliberately, you know, my boss would step on my toes. You would 
step on my toes. Um, you would insult me. Uh, you would hurt my pride, my ego. And I would deliberately go out, and the best idea I had, the only tool in my toolbox, was, uh, was my binge substances. And that's what I did, you know. And uh, I had to learn through harsh reality that, um, you know, this, was never, this would never change. So insanity is not necessarily crazy. It simply means less than whole. And when it came to, came to my binge foods, I'm going to make the decision on a lie. You know, I'm 300 pounds, and, and this cheesecake, you know, it's not going to burn me this time. You know, but, but even after long, you know, stretches of abstinence, even when seems, things seem to be going well, I may deliberately go out and make up the decision, make a decision to pick up my heroin, believing the lie that it won't burn me. My willpower becomes practically non-existent. I'm unable to bring it to my consciousness with sufficient force. The memory of my suffering and humiliation of even a week ago. I'm without defense against the first bite. Thank God today I've been restored to sanity. I can, as a result of immersing myself in this program, I had a transformation that has allowed me to have sanity around the food and I don't pick it up. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Larry. And Matt, it's your turn. Hi, this is Matt, compulsive overeater on the East Coast from New Jersey. Yes, I really identify with this paragraph. I wish I could say in some circumstances I went out and did this, but I can say in most circumstances I did this. Um, Spontaneity is such a four-letter word for me. I used to use that as such an excuse to eat. Everybody's going out, let's go out to eat. I would usually suggest that. Sometimes I would only go out with my friends if they were eating, or anybody if they were going out to eat. This type of insanity always went out. Even I would even hang around with people who are detrimental for me, people who are, who are not exactly what you say on the right side of the wall even, because I was just looking for that fix. Um, the things that, that, that the level of um, degradation that I put myself under dealing with food, just as worse, just as worse as any alcoholic out there. And um, I loved it. This is what this paragraph is describing to me is halt eating. Every time I had an emotion, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, sad, mad, anything, I would just basically just use food. I'm just now learning how to deal with the world on my, and how to deal with life on life's terms. I was stunted very early when I started eating at such a young age when I was, when I was a kid. And you know what? It's amazing how this program, being this program, is teaching me how to grow up. I feel like I've, I feel like I've grown into, into an adult and still growing into an adult by being in this program. And... I'm very grateful that just for today, I'm abstinent for today. I was abstinent yesterday, and today is just another day in the, in the week that I really have to take out of my, um, my, out of my mind the idea of special days. Um, I got into trouble over the holidays, over this time, over the, over the other food, which being a paragraph like this, so it reminded me what I did. And premeditation, you know, I love that word. Premeditation is so true. My disease looks for ways for me to set up around food where I can go out and eat what I think when my mind tries to trick me of eat with impunity. I can never eat with impunity. I never could. And I, I, get je- I used to get jealous of people who can do it, which is why I used to convince myself that I could eat just like them. Yet my waist size started to expand wider and wider and wider, and the furniture started to creak and creak. My car started to get more and more heavier when I got into it. 
But, you know, those things really don't exist in light of the addiction. I'm just grateful that I've seen my higher power stepped in and saved my life because I really was on my way to an early grave this year. And I know if I go back into the food, I don't have, I, I'm on borrowed time. My time would be up. But I'm just grateful that today I can have given the hope of the solution. I don't have to live in the mess anymore. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. Judith. Judith, I don't know your initial, I think. Thank you, thank you. This is Judith R. in Vermont, recovered compulsive overeater. I'm one of those compulsive overeaters who never set out to do it deliberately. The disease always ambushed me, and I was always unaware of when I was going to eat next, why I was going to eat next. I never knew. I knew another binge was coming, but it might not be four weeks. It might not be four weeks from now or five weeks until now. I would go for long stretches and be okay. But one time I went to a doctor and complained about my overeating, and I was fairly thin, and he said, oh, it's okay. You work hard. You deserve a reward. So, of course, I went home and, quote, rewarded myself. And I don't know if it was that day or years later that I finally realized that, for me, deliberate or undeliberate, eating had become a punishment that I inflicted on myself, not a reward that I gifted myself. And that was a a big revelation for me. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judith R. And Debbie K., it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning. This is Debbie K. from New Jersey. And thank you for the wisdom on the phone this morning. I am in the recovery process around steps two and three. And I found this paragraph very helpful because it talks about a spree being justified by nervousness anger, worry, depression, jealousy, and that this justification was insanely insufficient in the light of what I always what always happened. So I was thinking about one of the slogans of OA, which is the think sign upside down. Okay? And then I ask myself, what happens when I am nervous or angry? Well, yes, I'm going to overeat, but am I also going to raise my voice in anger and harm another human being? Raise my hands against another human being? Am I going to be, if I'm eating because of jealousy, am I going to find ways to be vindictive and spiteful? If I'm in depression, if I'm feeling any of these feelings that this paragraph talks about, and I use the think slogan and ask myself to play it through, all of the, um, all of the actions that result, including overeating, always, always harm me always hurt me. So I need this type of a paragraph to be aware of feelings that can trigger the compulsion to overeat mindlessly. And it helps me to just be on the lookout. As a recovering person, 
between steps two and three. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Rabia? Okay, Vasa, you're up, and then Rabia. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. And I'm Vasa O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater Calling from Florida. And this is really a perfect um, paragraph for me. I really, this is step two. I had no, I consciously, I did not know I was eating over those things. But then when I read, you know, like reading this paragraph, you know, it says some circumstances we have gone are deliberately to get drunk. Well, I didn't do it. I, I didn't know why I did, you know. So I did it anyways without being conscious, you know, uh, eating over, um, you know, being nervous, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like, you know. I mean, I had those feelings, and, uh, you know, and I looked for food for comfort, I use food to deal with um, my problems, uh, and it was um, it was like a fix for me. And I, it's by the grace of God today. I don't eat to say to fix my problems. I stop eating, and then I turn to God and twelve steps and meetings and support groups that I get, and that's the answer to my problem. But it is you know for me the insanity. I thought to be insane. Who wants to admit they're insane? I thought insanity meant to be locked up in an institution, you know. I didn't really understand, you know, the insanity that went with the food, you know, and what I was doing. I didn't have to be locked up in a mental institution. There was a solution for it. But maybe if I didn't find a solution, I probably would have been locked up in an institution. Who knows where I would be today? But it is by the grace of God I've been abstinent for many, many years. You know, and I'm not um, I'm boasting and I'm not bragging. Uh, you know, it. I, and this was a gift from God. You know, I. You know, I. You know, I would be dead today if I didn't find God and the program, because I tried to do it for myself for many, many years. So I don't get the credit whatsoever. You know. And, but there have been a few times in 20 years that I remember thinking, this is where the insanity comes. What would happen if I just picked out one thing? You know, what would happen to me? And you know what? And I get in a, on a meeting, and I hear what happened with people that picked up once they were like one year absent or two years or five or ten years or even 15 or 20 years. You know, so I don't have to look too far. You know, I hear, you know, when people pick up, everything goes down the drain. Well, God has given me so much over the years, you know, the peace, the serenity, been relieved from my character defects one by one, gradually, you know, especially jealousy, envy, resentments, you know. Why would I want to go back there again, you know? So this is where the sanity comes, you know. Don't do it, Vasa. Keep sticking with the program. Keep doing what you've been doing for 28 years. It's working. So don't get this insane thought. I mean, I've I've gotten those thoughts only a few times being abstinent. And thank you, God. And I hear it on the other side. Don't do it. 
this is what happened, what I did. So I'm learning, you know, what I'm hearing. Thank you for letting me share my path. Thank you. Rabia, your turn. Rabia, press star one to unmute. Hi, can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, good morning, my fellow visionaries. This is Rabia M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York, and this is a powerful paragraph for me as well. I love the shares this morning, and it's talking about deliberately instead of casually, and and I, like everyone, has uncountable times of casually picking up that first bite and with horrific consequences. And um, one was on a cruise when I was absent and I went on a cruise with my husband. The very first meal we sat down for, I ate desserts. By the second day, none of my clothes fit. And it was just horrific. I, I won't even go into the details. However, um, that was casually because I had planned on going to Friends of Bill's meetings and being abstinent on that cruise. However, deliberately, I cannot even count the number of face-to-face OA meetings that I have sat in and deliberately planned to get drunk, sat in the meeting and started planning my binge. And and this is an, an OA meeting, and this was before I understood the double whammy, before I understood the physical allergy and the mental obsession. I, I did not identify that as my mental obsession. And, and perhaps it might have been different if I could have, because I might have talked to someone after the meeting and said, I'm in my mental obsession, I'm going out to binge. Um, you know, it was just part of my disease. And once that thought was so strong in me, there was no stopping it. There was no anything that I could do. And I deliberately left that meeting to go get drunk. Um, today, it's different because, thank God, we stress the doctor's opinion and what this disease is really about and and teach our, each other how to look for that mental obsession, the voice of that mental obsession, like I talked about, how subtle it is. It speaks to me in my own language. It's very um, seductive, and and I must learn to acknowledge it and identify it as my disease um, as I work through these steps and live in these steps. And I'm grateful to be here with all of you this morning. I pass. Thank you. Thank you for all of the wonderful shares on this paragraph. I will now ask Penny C. to please uh, move on to the next paragraph, our behavior. Good morning, Katie, and good morning, everybody. It's Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in the Boston area. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap, having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured for several times in succession. 
you would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he is hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. This is a real parable. A uh, parable is a story that's meant to teach a lesson, and uh, it's it's um, probably one of the the most talked about or most popular stories in the big book. Everybody that's ever read the big book seems to know the story of the jaywalker. And I think that's because this this story, this parable can be applied to any addiction very easily to our addiction. If we took these words and paraphrased them to fit ourselves, we would say, our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first bite as that of an individual with a passion for overeating. He gets a thrill out of hanging out in bakeries. He, 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 um, he enjoys himself for a few, few times. Uh, and people are warning, warning us, warning him to stop, that he, his weight is the doctors telling him that, you know, he, he um, is in danger of, of becoming uh, a diabetic, his blood pressure is high, he may have a stroke or even a severe heart attack, and yet he just can't stop. But he keeps, keeps seeing what he can get away with. I know for me that's part of my disease, part of my personality that I work on all the time. What can I get away with? I used to think I could get away with just one, one bite, just one taste, just one piece um, of, of this or that dessert when I was in the uh, diet club, and it never worked. It never worked, and I, what would I be left with? It says, you know, here that he ends up with broken arm and then two broken legs. And what I would end up with, that feeling of remorse and guilt and, I'm, I, you know, what's the matter with me? I have no willpower. Um, so I'm so, I'm so glad that I'm, I, I hear this, this story. And each time I don't dismiss it as, oh, I don't need to hear that again. It's such a wonderful reminder that if I don't stay close to my higher power, if I don't continue to live in step 11 and 10, 11, and 12, and remember every day how powerless I am over food, then I could be right back there, right back, you know, hanging out in the bakery section of the supermarket. And, and that would be just, um, that would be, that would be, Without God there to help me, that would be so disastrous. And so thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you. Hi, this is Rhonda. Leah. Kim. Kim. Oh, this is Rafael calling from Israel. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get all these names. Um, I heard someone. Yeah, Whitney, what else? Uh, hi, this was when Ronnie. You'll be able to get me in. Grateful. Okay, I'm trying to. Uh... Okay, I heard Leah and Kim G, and I know 
I think I know there were Linda several, of them, but everybody's talking at the same time. Linda M. Sarah W. Sarah W. Okay, I apologize if I missed you. Um, uh, hi, I know Ronnie. It's, I know. It's, okay, I don't think we're going to have enough time to have five people, but if we do, that's fantastic. Um, so we will start with Leah. Then it will be Kim G, Linda M, Sarah W, and Ronnie. If we have enough time, we have seven minutes. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kim. Good morning, everybody. This is Leah, recovered compulsive overeater. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks he breaks both legs. Um, well, certainly the big book now is using an absurd example um, to to spotlight the absurd absurd behavior that we go through. I mean, that's why the big book calls this cunning, baffling, and powerful, because here, as you see in the paragraph, he tells you he has decided to stop. You know, we decide to stop, but we have this progression in this disease where we go from not wanting to stop binging because it's too much fun, right? The jaywalkers having a great time, but the disease progresses to not being able to stop due to the obsession of the mind. And that's exactly, you know, my experience, as well as that the chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt until they were much too hard to be broken. You know, when everybody started focusing on the problems that compulsive overeating was causing for me, high blood pressure, uh, threat of diabetes, you know, obesity, uh, high cholesterol, etc., you know, at a young age, um, you know, the focus was on those consequences, but the real problem was even after all that medical damage, even after the emotional turmoil and the torture that I was experiencing, that does not deal with the ism of my illness. The ism is this insanity. You know, occasionally I would think I was making a decision. You know, I am deciding to pick up. I am making a decision to pick up, merely choosing to change my mind. But in actuality, I eventually learned the truth. I was not changing my mind. I was compelled to pick up that first bite beyond my ability to control it because I had a defective mind. I was suffering from an obsession. And one idea would enter my consciousness and dominate my brain in such a way that all other ideas, all the suffering and all the consequences were shoved aside and the obsession became my only reality. That's why the program of recovery compels me to have a new mind a spirit-guided mind, and I get that through the process of these 12 steps, which drives out that obsession of the mind and allows me to walk this planet as a free person. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Kim G., you're up. Thanks, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I want to pick up on the sentence that Leah talked about, but I'm going to add in luck then deserts him. Because I have to tell you, I was depending a lot on luck in the rooms. You know, I've heard a lot of great dieting tips throughout this hour. You know, if I'm not a compulsive overeater, hungry, angry, lonely, tired is a really good dieting technique. If I have sanity of mind, then I can think the drink through. I can remember my last drink. 
if I have a sound mind, I can decide not to eat today. Those are great techniques if you don't have the obsession of the mind. If those techniques work for you in the long term, I'm going to postulate that you may not be a compulsive overeater because my book tells me that I am without defense against the first drink. My book tells me that I have the insanity of the jaywalker that regardless of the consequences, regardless of, of, of how many dieting techniques I use, I am going to pick up again if I don't get access to a power greater than myself. My book tells me that I'm the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well. So I just want to take a quick survey and then I'll be done. If it really is that I could just look out for these emotions, if it really is that I can just remember the pain, the suffering, of humiliation of even a week or a month ago, if I can simply utilize these, these techniques of dieting that other um, groups teach me, let me ask you some questions. Have you eaten when you're happy? Have you eaten when you're sad? Have you eaten when you've been in good health? Have you eaten when you've been in bad health? Have you eaten in a good relationship? Have you eaten in a bad relationship? Have you eaten when you had a lot of money? Have you eaten when you've had no money? If that's your reality, then all these dieting techniques are not going to work for someone like me. I have the allergy of the body. Permanent disability will never be able to safely use these foods again. And the biggest part of my disease is I have an obsession of the mind. I have a mental twist that regardless of how many dieting techniques I can employ, it's always going to convince me that the best idea I have today is to pick up the food regardless of the circumstances going on. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And um, we, this will be our last person, uh, Linda. Thank you. Linda M., press star one to unmute. Okay, Sarah W., you could unmute, please. Hi, Katie. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I just wanted to bring up the idea that in, in this it says uh, you would expect him if he were normal to cut it out. And the, the idea is, you know, as other people have stated, you know, we are bodily and mentally different. And I think this is the failure of this person. You know, the person really feels like somehow they can evade these issues, that they can get by with it. And I was thinking about, you know, I, I was a part of a diet club for many, many years, and I thought that I could eat, you know, like these sugar-free dessert products, and I would bring them home and I would have like the thought that I could do like one and, you know, that was the great lie. And last night my husband was making some sugar-free pudding and he brought it and he showed me. And he said to me, you know, look at this little bit, of this little amount now. You know, it's only 80 calories for it. You know, here it is, you know, like this this thought, you know, comes into your mind. Well, you know, it's it's milk. It's, it's pudding. But, you know, for me today what I realized is that one little bit of that stuff will lead me right back into the cheesecake and everything else. And, you know, it's all about the self-destructive behavior. You know, I may not realize it's self-destructive at the time when I'm doing it, but it really is. And today I would rather, much rather have a clear mind and, and be able to function with a lot of clarity and, um, and to be present to the day, present to people, 
than to go back into that, you know, hellish uh, life experience that I've been through before. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. And I just want to say just one comment that, um, first of all, I hope those who were not able to share will stick around for the second hour if your uh, schedule allows. And I just wanted to say that, um, uh, for me, this shows the progressive nature of this disease. When I came in when I was 14, I thought this was insane. I thought all of this was insane. And, of course, I have enough control to lose a little bit of weight. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. And, you know, by the time I was 7, 13 years later, I identified absolutely with this type of thinking. I identified with the fact that I could not stay stopped um, as long as I was awake. And, um, you know, that is, is what you're promised. If you want to go back out and check it out, you're promised that if you are one of us, it will get worse, never better. And with that, I'll pass. And now, um, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will uh, Larry Kay please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thanks, Katie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.